Welcome to Between the Banners, NBA Draft Aftermath Edition. My name is Chad Floyd. I am joined tonight by Joe Carpenter, uh, our friend at Tar Heel Blog, who writes awesome debate pieces every Monday morning, so definitely check those out. I felt like I owed him one because he and I have not podcasted about any of his topics in a couple of weeks because schedules are conflicting and troublesome. But we are here tonight to discuss whether or not UNC won the NBA draft or not. Uh, I think there is, there are definitely two sides to this coin. So Joe and I are going to talk about it. Joe, how are you and what are you sipping on right now? Yeah, I'm doing great. I'm slipping, uh, sipping right now on a little, uh, larceny on ice this afternoon, just unwinding, uh, getting excited about this, uh, summer, shaping up to be a great summer. How about you? What are you it. sipping on? Well, I went to Trader Joe's and they had a special on Dogfish Head 90 Minute IPAs, which I have not had in a while. They generally sell them in the four packs, but they had them both on sale and in a six pack. So I said, man, I got to get my hands around that. Uh, the bad news with Trader Joe's, obviously, is that they don't have a beer fridge. So I had to play the old paper towel in the freezer trick and I have a nice frosty treat right now. Fantastic. You're full of good tips for all the listeners today. That's great. You know what? Even if you don't like our podcast and you listen to it, I at least want you to walk away with something. Now, however, if you do like the podcast, go ahead and pause it, click subscribe, leave us a five-star review. If you leave a five-star review on your podcast source of choice, preferably iTunes because that's the most accessible for me, well, Apple Podcasts now in 2019, I will read it on air. And we don't have any of those submissions right now to read. So, Joe, I'd say let's jump into it. Let's do it. The Tar Heels had Kobe White drafted number seven overall by the Chicago Bulls, Cam Johnson number 11 by the Phoenix Suns, and Nasir Little slid to 25 and the Portland Trailblazers, which Brandon Anderson and I went on last night or last week and talked about how that could end up being an excellent fit for him. Uh, the Heels already took one big L in the Chicago Tribune because the Bulls beat writer published an article stating that Kobe White went to Duke University. Aside from that, um, Joe, just kind of your overall takeaway on whether or not the Heels won or lost uh, the NBA draft, and we'll kind of go from there. Boy, it really is a mixed bag for him. You know, on the one hand, you've got the development of Kobe White through the season, and you see that then play out in the draft as he had a rapid rise. And and as you know, some of the predictions beforehand even maybe had him going a little bit higher than seven. I saw as high as four or five, and I think that was just looked like position-based largely. But um, great fit for him, I think, at the Bulls. Uh, obviously, Cam Johnson's the surprise, again, demonstrating that Roy can can really develop talent. Uh, even over the course of just two years in the case of Cam, which is great. And then you offset, I think, a little bit with Little. Um, the I think on the whole that Little's drop is offset from a freshman perspective by Kobe White's climb through the season and that the tiebreaker goes to Cam Johnson getting draft. Frankly, anywhere in the first round I would have thought was great. Uh, being a lottery pick, obviously, is a, a big surprise and a big bump there. Yeah, I agree 100% with all of that. I think in recruiting circles, Nasir Little being the highest profile guy, I mean, he was up there among the Zion Williamsons and the R.J. Barretts and the Cam Reddishes. 
of the Duke variety. Um, I mean, I guess we'll just start with the negative here. Nasir Little's fall was precipitous, ugly, and it played out on national TV as they do. Um, at least he was not the last guy in the green room. But to have a guy who was so heralded, you know, as a potential top five pick drop all the way almost out of the first round, it is what it is. I mean, it's, it's just a bad look, um, especially given how open Nasir and his father have been. You know, with some of their commentary, they have not said anything bad about UNC publicly, or at least intentionally said anything bad about UNC publicly. But they haven't said anything great about him either. Well, it's hard for somebody that comes in at, you know, he was the number three recruit or number two recruit in some circles to to come in and be the sixth player. Uh, clearly, he was the best player off the bench. And you know, he is one that I think his draft stock, you can look back and, and make an argument that it was affected by him being sick in, uh, in the Auburn game because he was playing the best ball of the season. He had really found a niche in coming off the bench and being a, a dominating force, frankly, on the post. Uh, he was really knocking guys out down there and was getting points and, and was uh, playing much better defense and he was getting a lot of rebounds. And you feel like if he could have had two or three more games in the national spotlight, that the draft stock really could have gone the other way because it looked like we were finally starting to see the potential that he had coming into the season by the time it got to the end of the season. And so I wonder if that didn't play some part. Obviously, there were shooting questions with him, particularly from the outside. And as you know, that was one of the um, one of the real big trends in the draft is to try to go with with obviously with good shooters. So I, you know, that could have hurt also, but I do think a couple of more games and, and we would have seen him significantly higher in the draft. Yeah. And he was pegged pretty much universally somewhere in that 10 to 15 range. And to fall that far, uh, there weren't really good fits for him after really you got past Miami at 14. So it kind of became a thing where you just assumed somebody was going to trade up and snag him. But at the end of the day, maybe it's a situation where a lot of the teams drafting a little further down did not have a chance to work him out. And you wonder what teams that did work him out uh, in the pre-draft process saw that led them to pass on him. So, you know, I, I don't think the blame is all in Nasir's court. I don't think the blame is all in Roy Williams and UNC's court. But, you know, like I said, it it is a bad look. And... At the end of the day, you had three seniors starting at any position that he could have theoretically played as a starter. Um, there, there's definitely the argument that if Luke May was not capital letters Luke May, that Nasir Little might have been a better fit as a stretch four starter on this team. But in retrospect, it's, it's overall just a bad look. And that being your highest profile recruit and draftee in quite some time, that does not really bode well, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree, particularly for an athletic wing where those players tend to come out of high school and be a little more draft ready, um, as opposed to the point guard, you know, that we saw with Kobe. So, so I think he's an exception a little bit. And you would hope that those, the, the wings come out and are more successful on the college level. Maybe some of that has to do with the Roy Williams system, although I have to believe that the complication in running that offense really falls more on the point guard and demonstrates more the his ability to develop Kobe White 
to that point as opposed to the inability to maintain the draft stock for for little um so i i do think that that was some of it you know there were there were other players that were clearly very highly ranked coming out of high school that fell down the list you know cam reddish is a good example of that who just had a, a terrible year frankly for what the expectations were and he was a guy that came in very highly recruited he did play all of their games uh, started all of their games and just sort of got lost in the shuffle there a little bit and so I'm, I was really sort of surprised that he didn't fall further and that, or at least as far as, as little did. Um, but that's, you know, it's puts and takes. And frankly, I have, am not strong on understanding the statistics and the logic that goes into the NBA draft selections. I know that there are a lot of different statistics that teams are playing with. And the bottom line is for somebody like Cam Johnson, uh, you know, he is a big athletic guy who has a silky smooth stroke that looks like it can extend out multiple feet. And of course, we saw that during the year. There were a couple times that I thought he was shooting from the Carolina bench and those are, are from the North Carolina emblem on the court. And so those were, you know, really good skills to be able to demonstrate. And I think he's got the potential to be an excellent NBA player. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a good uh, transition point to talk about Cam Johnson because you have a guy, I mean, I wouldn't call him athletically gifted by any means compared with a lot of guys who did go off the board, but his production is probably more NBA ready than anybody in this class. Uh, there was a video around Twitter, you know, kind of justifying the Suns pick where it showed him scoring 16 points with one dribble, one dribble, I believe, in the pit game. Might have been the Wake Forest game. but where the NBA is such a drive and dish catch and shoot league that is invaluable to a modern team. And if we're talking about this from a recruiting perspective, uh, Cam Johnson's got a little brother that UNC has an offer out to. So seeing Cam Johnson go from potentially undrafted to number 11 overall certainly does not hurt from a recruiting perspective, just in a vacuum of Puff Johnson. Yeah, and especially if you look at where Cam was, and of course a lot of that is due to his work ethic, and he's a notoriously hard worker, um, in, both in the gym and on the practice court. But you know, when he came over from Pitt two years ago, there was no talk that he was draft eligible. He came over as a as a guy that had the potential to score some points in college and would be a nice addition to a Carolina program that was that was losing some guys, and even. I watched the replay of the the first Duke Carolina game um, over the course of the weekend. And at that point in the season, the talk was that Cam was really sort of a second round pick or, or middle second round pick. And all of a sudden, as the season goes on and he continues to get comfortable in the system and becomes a real showcase for the team from a scoring perspective, his draft stock just obviously went through the roof. Now, I don't know that there's a lot of guys that were drafted 10 positions higher than where they were. Um, predicted to be drafted. And so obviously there's, there's something that the Suns saw that they really liked out of, uh, from Cam. Uh, but you know, that's just, that's just sort of the way it goes. I'm, I'm really happy for him. I, I think it's a, it's a great result. And as you said, it's a great recruiting piece. Yeah. And the interesting thing about the Suns is that they traded out of seven to go down a little bit. So I, would think they could have probably traded down again, added another piece and still gotten Cam around like 15 or 16, but they were pretty resolute in going ahead and getting their guy despite 
you know, what the pundits said. So, I mean, every team has access to stats and projections that we are not privy to. And I don't fault them for, you know, if, if, if they see some, if they see a guy as the best player available and let's be frank, the Suns aren't going to the playoffs the next two years. If a 23 year old six, eight shooter is the best player available, you take the best player available because they're, Intention is to eventually make the playoffs with DeAndre Ayton and Devin Booker, I would assume. So it, it was curious, but you cannot complain about the result at, from a Carolina perspective. No, and you won't really know if any of these guys are going to be successful in the league for a while. You know, I would argue that the Pelicans clearly had a, a no-brainer choice, but that Zion has a real impact on them from a ticket sales perspective pretty early. But other, you know, once you get below him, I don't know that there's a tremendous impact to any team from their draft, individual draft selection. And so we'll find out as we go down the road. But again, the, the fact that Roy has put these kids in a position to, to be drafted in the first round and for Carolina to have three first round picks, I just thought was excellent. I do think one, I was obviously a little disappointed. I was really hoping that Luke May might grab a very late, um, pick. And of course that didn't happen. But secondly, you look back and you say, well, this team had three first rounders on the team. Should they maybe have been even more successful on the year than they were? And that's probably a debate for another day. Uh, but it does raise an interesting question. Well, there's another team that had three top 10 picks and they went one round further in the NCAA tournament. So, you know, the, the, the most talented team does not always win out in college basketball and that's, both the beauty and the annoyance of it because I, I was a UNC fan in 2012. Uh, I was a UNC fan in 1998, 1997. I wish it was a situation where the most talented team won because the heels would probably have three more banners. Well, and of course the other thing is the skills that it takes to be a successful college basketball player are not the same skills that it takes to be a successful prospective NBA player. And that's what we're talking about in the draft. And so, you know, there's some correlation there, but we've seen a lot of players be on national AP teams and even players of the year who were drafted late in the first round or uh, quickly, you know, had NBA careers that quickly ended. And so th that just tells you that those skills don't necessarily transfer. I do think it is incumbent on coaches generally to pay attention to the player's future and try to develop them into well-rounded basketball players. Uh, and I think that Coach Williams, again, has done a good job of that, particularly over the long term. So this is an opportunity that that he gets to go in into the uh, living rooms of high school kids and say, look, we had, had two guys come in, one moved up, one moved down, but they both went in the first round. And so, and they played on a winning team and they had a great time and they, they learned a lot about that team. And you can tell that, that, that those two are still Carolina fans, even though they're not Carolina students anymore. And I, I think that that's really the sign of success. Absolutely. And that brings us around to Kobe White, who basically would be the inverse of the Nasir Little situation. Uh, Kobe White has already paid off in getting Cole Anthony on campus for, well, I guess he's on campus now, but for next season, because UNC showed and this is kind of the scuttlebutt around the recruiting trail that they allow their guards the freedom to create, to maximize their talent and to play. And the 
the the interesting thing about that was it was always kind of the opposite with UNC guards is, oh, well, you know, he's pulling in the reins on Ty Lawson because, you know, he's a little bit out of control. Or, yeah, Larry Drew's got experience in the system, so we're going to start him over Kendall Marshall. Uh, Kobe White had the reins taken off from day one, and now he is a Chicago Bull eight months later. That And that is a big change for UNC. Yeah, his success is going to have some very interesting ripple effects for Carolina basketball, I think, in the coming years. Um, so on the one hand, it's a great recruiting story to, to be able to go in and show how he demonstrated. And secondly, he was obviously just a very, very enjoyable player to watch. He was very entertaining. He was emotional on the court. He was could shoot the ball from everywhere and from lots of different angles. Really, really a, an enjoyable player to watch, and he was part of the reason why that team was so fun. Him being successful, you're right, brings in Cole Anthony, I think, because it demonstrates that a freshman point guard can do well and be uh, be a high draft pick coming out of Carolina. But that, of course, also has Seventh Woods transfer because Cole Anthony comes in. And then I'm going to sort of channel my inner Jake Lawrence here and say Carolina's never been to the Final Four with a freshman point guard. And so does is that a positive or a negative that that they have this kind of turnover and that the point guard looks to be becoming a one and done position for the Tar Heels? Well, there's a first time for everything to uh you, Jake Joe, but <laughs> <laughs> but at the end of the day, I mean talent is better than not having talent. I think as we've touched on, Roy Williams does a great job of developing guys. Look at Isaiah Hicks and Kennedy Meeks as seniors pulling down a ring. And look at guys like Bryce Johnson, Danny Green. I mean, the list goes on of guys who did develop over four years. But he has not really shied away from giving guys opportunities when the opportunity presents itself. And with how hard he does coach point guards, and he's put a lot of guys who – did not have the physical skills that Kobe White has, nor that Cole Anthony is going to demonstrate next year into the league. I mean, Jacques Vaughn and uh, Kirk Heinrich come to mind as guys who were not immensely talented, but spent seven to 10 years in the NBA. Kirk Heinrich, probably more. That guy was around forever. Um, Raymond Felton's still floating around the NBA. Uh, there, there are different reasons why Ty Lawson is not still floating around the NBA, but I think he uh, had a cup of coffee last year. So at the end of the day, I mean, if, yeah, at the end of the day, it is a very point guard friendly system and Kobe White's already led to the number three recruit in the country coming in next year. Now, if Cole Anthony goes and has a Nasir Little like drop in the draft next year, that might be a problem. But what you're seeing is a demonstrated ability to come in, run the offense from day one and produce like a player who can do that. And it amazes me to this day that big guys aren't seeing how much UNC intends to feed the post and joining the party as well. Yeah, and I would even add to that list that Theo Penson, by the end of the year, two years ago, frankly, was playing more point guard than any other position, especially in key moments as Barry had moved over effectively to the shooting guard. And, of course, Absolutely. Theo had a wonderful Theo had a wonderful run in the NBA, particularly at the at the end of this season, and was being highly productive. And so you can put him on the successful, in my mind, Roy Williams decision makers 
maybe maybe more so than point guards, although clearly uh, Coach Williams has done a lot of different things with the point guard position over the last several years and has tended to rotate out the player that looked to be the point guard, has rotated that person out to uh, really to a shooting guard position uh, over the last several years. And what it does is it get, gives you more capable ball handlers on the court, and that just helps the team in the present while also helping demonstrate versatility in the future. So uh, the Theo Pinson point is a very good one there, and I think Christian Keeling, while not as physically talented as Theo Pinson and probably not as good as any of these guys, definitely strikes a chord there. Uh, Marcus Page has played in the NBA and, you know, was basically a six foot, 150 pound two guard in college. So UNC is definitely going to bring in guys that, well, not so much bring in, but spit out guys that have skills that do translate to the pro game. And that is really all we can ask as far as worrying about uh, recruiting here in June of 2019. Yep, I agree. I think that's right. And so I would say on the whole, the the draft was a victory for Carolina. I think that uh, Tar Heel fans come out feeling pretty good about what Coach Williams did for those kids and, and where Carolina was in the national spotlight. Yeah, and I think in a situation where everybody wants to be a one-and-done, uh, UNC's recruiting high-profile wings for the 2020 class, you can point to, well, he was – playing behind a guy who went 11th overall to explain the Nasir Little situation a little bit. And at the end of the day, you've got basically the same situation you always had, except now you have Cole Anthony. You might have Cam Johnson's brother who are, who could be just automatic guys that are already recruiting wins on that front. And there will be negative recruiting against UNC, but at the end of the day, that, pales in comparison to the fact that UNC has been more successful than the one-and-done programs over the past decade. That's right, and negative recruiting is nothing new for Carolina. Nope, they'll get their guys, and they can be one-year guys or four-year guys, and they will still probably at least sniff a national championship. So that's not a bad problem to have. Uh, Joe, so I appreciate you joining. Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, before we go, I just wanted to put a quick plug in on this topic, the debate piece that was out on Monday. I talked about the most exciting returning player coming back. I was about and I, to ask you I about looked, that. There you go. I beat you to it. I, I looked at uh, at Brooks as a possibility, but I also looked at Leaky Black. And so when we look ahead to this year, if Cole Anthony can get a shooting stroke, there's another possibility where we've got that, that big sort of wing player in Leaky Black who – rotates over and picks up some point guard time and that could uh that could be very interesting also so that's why i'm excited about him coming back too and uh who knows what we'll come up with for next week but i really appreciate the the opportunity to have this discussion with you and to sneak in a a a quick debate absolutely well i i didn't want to waste your time or the listeners time talking about the uh, pros and cons of grass and field turf because i don't think either of us are subject matter experts there (laughs) Al is apparently. Al really knows uh, his turf. I am very pro the turf, just uh, for the record. But, you know, I can definitely see both sides of the argument. I mean, it looks good. 
It it does look good. The injury injury statistics are a little questionable. So that was that turned into a really good uh, debate topic too when we dug into it. That was a few weeks ago. Two weeks ago, we looked at uh, the most exciting incoming recruit uh, with Anthony coming in and obviously being the presumptive point guard, the most important position I would argue on Roy Williams' team. And so having him come in is very exciting. But we took a look at some of the other recruits that have come in and been very exciting for the Tar Heels. I landed on uh, Harrison Barnes and Ronald Curry being the two with the debate. And those were two, you know, very different situations. And so then this week looking at returning players. And again, it's hard to say what we'll, what we'll come up with for next week, but everybody should uh, really appreciate all the readers and the, and the great comments on the post and looking forward to another article on Monday morning. Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to reading it and uh, maybe we'll get back on track and, Talk about what you write as opposed to what comes into my head. Um, Joe, I appreciate you joining me. For everybody who didn't listen to the first three minutes, subscribe, leave a five-star review. We'll read it on air. Go Heels.